welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. If we haven't yet met, my name's Josh, and I am privileged to serve on the leadership team here in Grace Life. And uh, if you are here and you don't know who Jesus is, my prayer is that today uh, you will say yes to him. That uh, every time we get together, whether people accept invitations or not, we give out invitations. Holy dooly, we give out invitations for people to come to the Jesus party. And uh, perhaps you've been wrestling with that in your life, maybe even this morning. Maybe you've limped over the line to get into the house this morning. We want you to know there is a God. He is good and He loves you. He is for you. He has given Himself for us through Jesus. And, uh, you know, there is freedom from sin. There is forgiveness. It is all available by saying yes to Jesus and receiving what He's done on the cross. Any Christians agree with that? It's so good that we, we as believers are um, we're caught up in this... this um, this life of grace, it's totally undeserved. It's His faithfulness to us, not our faithfulness to Him. My goodness, I am not faithful to Him at times. I don't know about you, but I'm saved by His grace and His goodness. And that's actually what the story of Nehemiah is all about. And Josie already alluded to that. It's, it's so much more than just about rebuilding a wall, though that's part of it. It's not just about what we have done or... or Uh, how we've worked with one another, though that's part of the story. The big story here is that God is faithful. He's faithful. He's always been faithful to His people. And if you've got your swords, would you pull it out, please? Straight away, we're getting there. We're going to go to Nehemiah, going to chapter 9 and 10 today. So much here. I just get so excited when I read through the Word and um, trusting you are in your own time reading through two chapters a week. If you haven't yet caught up, we're uh, every couple of chapters we're covering each week, and so next Sunday we'll be covering chapters 11 and 12. So this week, why don't you just pull out your knives and forks when you get home and read through chapters 11 and 12. But uh, we're camping in 9 and 10 today, and I have the assignment to uh, share with you a message called The Pursuit of Holiness. The Pursuit of Holiness. To give you some background here, on um, on the whole uh, book of Nehemiah, the first six chapters in particular, um, we can see God's people through Nehemiah rebuilding, reconstructing this wall. And um, we can see God's faithfulness and the grace of God in that process that um, God would bring back his people together to protect them, to show his covenant toward them. And the last seven chapters are really all about the reinstruction of God's people. So while there is a reconstruction of walls, physical walls, there is in a sense a reconstruction of hearts and of community. And and here we're well into the conversation where God is addressing his people about this covenant community, this covenant community. And last week we were sharing just around the importance of the Word of God. Wasn't that a a great passage to explore? Like a return to the Word of God, a a restore, 
uh, to the awe of God. And um, I'm not sure how often you pull out your Bibles and you get stuck into it, but my encouragement to you is do it at least daily, at least on a daily basis. And uh, whether it helps you getting a Bible app, whether it's um, uh, a physical Bible, whether it's an iPad, an iPhone, an Android, an LG or whatever it is you got, whatever rocks your socks, get straight into that. Um, And we can see that God's faithfulness to his people has has not just been in this season. Throughout the course of history, we see for God's people, um, he, he, he has great relationship with his people and the people are then blessed. But then there is a sense of, uh, a rebellion and people that they, they kind of focus on the blessings of God and they focus on themselves. They go away from the covenant relationship. Though God is faithful, He is still faithful. He allows His people to go their own way. And then soon enough, sure enough, God's people come to their sense and go, oh my goodness, what have we done? We've turned ourselves, we've got to repent. So they go from re- rebellion into repentance and then from that repentance, that right relationship, becomes that restoration and redemption and perhaps you're here this morning feeling that same rhythm it's not just new to the old testament it's for us god loves us he is for us he has made a commitment to us but at times he lets you do what it is you really want to do by his grace he says no i'm not going to let you do that but also by his grace sometimes he just says all right go on go your own way do your own thing and then we do our own thing and we party hard and we live our own ways and and then we come to our senses Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, maybe I've just got to come to my senses. And as we come to our sentence, the senses, sentences of senses, we <laughs> brought in this repentance, this, oh, I'm changing my mind on, on this. Repentance is not a dirty word. It's a good word. It's a biblical word. It's a godly word. To repent, to change the way you think. Metanoia, chnaus, your thinking from your way to God's way. And so, Here is a call for repentance, for God's people to come back. If my people who are called by my name would come back to me. And we see here there is a coming back in the right relationship. And um, I'm going to pick up from the end of chapter 8, just by way of continuation from last week. And I'm going to read... Just one verse. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. Day by day. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So, they, uh, we were covering this last week. There was a, a returning to the Word. And um, we see there was worship, there was Word, and there was a sense of responding, worry, or, or, or where we are really at. And, and so the brilliance of the Word of God is it is a story of God's faithfulness to His people. This is a, th- th- when you pick up your Bibles... Look for God in there, not just you. Look at God's nature, not just ours. So we see His faithfulness to His people. And what does, that, what does that remind us of? Well, that reminds us of His commitment to us and the fact that we are holy unto Him. We are holy. Do you know right now, 
positionally in Christ, you are holy right now. You are holy. I know we like to strive for this holiness, and there certainly is. We've got to pursue for holiness, but that comes out of a revelation of our positional holiness. Right? Hello? So, so God is holy, and we get to share in His holiness. What is that holiness? That holiness can be described in the Old Testament. The word is kadosh, and that might mean separate uh, or, or cut off, totally different. God is so different. He is so indestructible. He is... He is inseparable from sin in a sense, and and he calls for us to share in that holiness. He says in Peter, be holy as I am holy. So what is he saying? He says, hey, join in this holiness. You already are positionally my son and my daughter right now. I cannot love you any more than I do right now because I see you through the filter of my son Jesus. I see you through the finished work of the cross, and that's absolute grace for me. Because it's, it's, it's undeserved. I can't, I can't earn that. It's, it's my, my best of deeds, my most brilliant of, of, of uh, accomplishments are like filthy rags before Him. So when I read the Word of God, it shows me, it reminds me of my holiness unto Him. And this is what's happening with God's people. They're being reminded of the fact that they belong to Him. A, um, an item of mine that's holy. I have spoken about this in the past. This is my holy chair. It's all I do all day. I sit in this thing and I swivel. You all think I'm praying and stuff. I'm playing video games in my swivelly chair in my office. I'm joking for those that don't know me, but some of you are like, we knew it. We knew it. So this chair was given to me from some youth leaders uh, when I was uh, a youth pastor around about 17 years ago. And um, I'm pretty sure it's just a, just a beautiful chair from Officeworks, but um, it's holy unto me. It's for my use, not yours. My chair, mine. And if I want to swivel in it, I can do whatever I want, right? It's for my purposes. That's holy unto me. It's, it's set apart. It is consecrated, holy and consecrated. It is set apart for me because it was given to me. Now, this... Um, this chair, if you have a look at it, I mean, it's, it's got some injuries. It's, it's an old chair. It's starting to rip, but it doesn't matter. To you, it's just an old chair that needs replacing. That's my chair. And years ago, about two years ago, when this was in my old office, in, when uh, we were in Westchester Road, down the road, um, and the, um, the potential buyers of that building were looking to um, to acquire that building we, we we were negotiating here is an Indian negotiating with other Indians we were getting nowhere fast but the <laughs> here's the difference my dad runs the show so we had him on site and so the lady Pammy is her name 
She's the head of the organization. She, as we're negotiating about the price of the building, uh, we said, look, if uh, <clears throat> the closer we get to $2.15 million for that whole thing, the more likely we will be to play ball on what you want by way of furniture. When I went to meet with her, she was sitting in my chair. She was sitting in my desk and in my chair at the incline position like this, swiveling. This is a true story. Who's that lady think she is in my chair? She says, Josh, I want this desk and I like this chair. I said, oh, you, you can't have that. She goes, why not? It's just a chair. I said, no, that carries sentiment to me. It's mine. It was holy. And I don't, mate, $2.15 million deal could have broken down over this chair. But I don't care. It's my chair. You are like God's chair. As banged up or old as you may feel, to, to Him... You're holy. And that this is an important revelation for us to understand. I'm telling you. You've got to catch this truth. That by grace, He has sovereignly and providentially chosen you. And He says, I love you. I am for you. You're mine. You're to be used for me. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Godly revelation leads to a godly response. So, the revelation here is that we belong to Him. But there is always a godly response. And you know, When we have a revelation about God, it, it, it ain't always going to be warm and fuzzy. Can I be honest with you? Oh, I got a revelation of God's goodness. It's not always going to be, oh, wow, it just feels so good all of a sudden. Oh, I had a revelation. No, a lot of the time it's going to be very, very confronting. It's going to be real confronting. Let's have a read. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth. I encourage fasting, not so much the sackcloth. And with earth on their heads, or your version might say. Now, now sackcloth was made from, from like goat's hair. It was a really uncomfortable thing to wear. And they covered themselves a lot of time with ashes and then the ground. That was an act of humbling for them. It was, oh, oh I'm, 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 I'm so sorrowful. I am feeling so bad about this. And so there was a genuine sense of not just sobriety, but sorrow in the following of the reading of the word. That oh, we are holy and we've actually erred from the ways of God. And so they felt really bad about that. This is God's people. But verse 2 says, And on and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They separated themselves. Separated themselves. Maybe it's time for some of us to separate ourselves. Why did they separate themselves from the foreigners? Why? Why was that so important? God's people were His people. They were His people. 
And it wasn't just that God was all about inclusion and exclusion, but holiness was really important to him. Even this whole intermarrying thing, this conversation that continued to happen, he's like, listen, you don't understand. If you intermarry, then 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 idols will creep in and the worship of false gods, as an example, would creep in. And that did happen. And so God is saying, you're mine and I'm yours and we're together. Just don't worry about the world. Too much of the world in our lives. We, we talk about being in the world and not of the world, but what does that mean? What does it mean when we go home and we start clicking on the telly? What does that mean when we pick up those magazines or we get on Facebook or we entertain those conversations? What does that mean? And that's something we all have to work out with God. He has given us His Spirit to steer us. And so reading on, they then confess their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Confession of sin. Confession of sin. That's a really important thing. And a revelation. By, by grace, we are holy because of Jesus. By grace. And this, this must be a right revelation. And a right revelation of our holiness is not a permission to sin. But it results in freedom from sin. So, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm, I'm covered by the grace of God and I'm saved, I'm set free, I'm sanctified, I'm redeemed, brother. And, 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 and it's, all, it's all paid for on the cross. You know what that means? That means I can do whatever the jolly well I want to do. Well, you know, Paul addresses this. He goes, you know, sure you can say those things, but that's not good for you. You know that, right? Oh, but if, if the food's good for the belly, it ain't good for you. Martin Luther addresses some Christians that were quite legalistic at the time, and, and they said to Martin Luther, are you telling me that if I'm saved and I'm really saved, I can do whatever pleases me then? And Luther turns around and says, yes. Now, what really pleases you? Because if we really are holy and we really are set apart and we are aware of that, that changes the heart to just do what he's called us to. How can I be married to him in the world at the same time? And this is what our story is about here. And there is an ownership of sin. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of an hour. Oh, hang on, I misread that. For a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and they worshipped the Lord their God. And they begin to worship, to confess their sins. Very important, friends. Take ownership of our sins. Don't hide it from God. As though He doesn't know anyway. Confess those sins and allow that revelation to result in worship. God, you're so good. You've called me. You've loved me. You've been faithful to me. I've erred. And yet you're still for me. I worship you. And, and, and the people of God then have, we can read the longest prayer in Scripture. And this is, hear, hear this following passage. I'm not going to go through it all, but in your own time, feel free to. This passage here gives such an incredible overview of the story of God's people, the whole story of Israel. It's amazing. I'm going to read through a couple of parts here. Verse 6. 
They say, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. They're joining in, in the appreciation of the splendor of God. I don't know about you, I mean, Josie, as Josie was sharing that this morning, this is all about the splendor of God, how extravagant and amazing He really is. That revelation prompts a response in me to not just be, yeah, He's alright. God's like, yeah, He's okay. He's, yeah, all right. I reckon He's okay. No, He is awesome. Are you kidding me? Verse 16, going on to awareness of sin in chapter 9 but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commands they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt but you are God ready to forgive gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them and understand this that Whilst they're talking about the iniquities of their forefathers, it's not just, hey, my ancestors were morons and they stuffed up. No, no, no. No, in this culture, this is, this is what we have done. This is, a, this is a sharing in the ownership of sin. This is so important. So here's a question for you. Here's a question. Would you be willing, if you're not already, to sit with God and allow Holy Spirit, who searches all things, reveal sins in your heart? Would you be willing, in your own quiet time, to say, Holy Spirit, there are things I know that I, where I'm erring, but I need you to point them out. Would you be willing to do that? And if and as He does reveal to you, will you own it? When we receive forgiveness and say, thank you, God. That you love me, even in spite of that junk. Wow, that is just amazing. Last week I was sharing about the awareness of God's goodness in the midst of an awareness of my sinfulness. You know, in particular, when I was uh, about 21 years old, I remember where this first really hit me. I was a Christian. I loved Jesus. I knew he loved me. But I was bound up by the law. And so much of my sense of sonship or love and awareness of my acceptance was based upon my thinking of my good deeds. That, that, that's what I, I, I didn't realize it until the Lord showed me something. I was sitting in a Bible college class and we had a guest speaker and his name was Dave McGregor from Adelaide. And this is when I was back at Tabor. And, and as... The, the lecturer was just sharing on the grace of God and how good God was and showing me through scriptures. It was like, um, it was just like the penny dropped. The penny dropped and I'm thinking, hang on a second. God is better than I thought he was. God, you're better. You're even better than I th Holy smoke. And as I started to get hold of the grace of God, I started... To become aware of how wretched I really was. But it wasn't a bad wretchedness in terms of I'm so condemned and I'm so, it was, oh my goodness, you've just shown me so much of my heart that is not good. And now you love me. And I had a deeper appreciation 
of the love that he had toward me. And at the same time, I was aware of my wretchedness and even my depravity. Have you ever had that moment before? This is what um, we can read in Isaiah chapter 6, where there were angels. Um, um, just give you some background here. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, angels declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says then in Isaiah, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said this, in the presence of the revelation of the holiness of God, this is what Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Think about that. God was not embarrassed to include that passage. That where Isaiah is there in the presence of the Almighty and it wasn't just, oh, I'm before, I'm before the Almighty and I feel so tingly. Just I feel the goosebumps all over my body. It's so heavenly. God intentionally chose to put this passage in Scripture for us to know at times we're going to be presented before the Most Holy God and our response will be, oh, I am a sinner. You read even in the New Testament, miracle after miracle, even Jesus' own disciples, when Jesus did a miracle, their response was, oh, I am such a sinner. Depart from me, Lord. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Now your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. How good is, how good is that? So, we are holy. And we need that right revelation. And it, is, it, 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 it calls for a response, a right response. Confession of sin, worship of God. Um, we can even see there is great desire for an in-depth look, even more so at the Word of God. But um, all of this, all of this is about the glory of God. And God's ultimate plan for you is that we would become like Jesus. We know that, right? It's not just for your comfort, believe it or not. Right? Jesus didn't save you just to make you feel comfortable. He didn't just save you so that you can become more prosperous financially, right? Oh, really? I didn't know that. He didn't just save you to make you happy. It's more than happiness. It's holiness. So it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, if we can put that up, please. Those whom he foreknew, he also... What did he do? He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? That he knew you before the foundation of the world. He knew you intimately. He foreknew you intimately. And he had planned for you in advance that you would become like Jesus. Wow. How does he do that? How, how does he make us like Jesus? Well, he gives us his spirit. And he changes us. Day in, day out, his desire is to change you. He loves you so much just as you are right now, but he loves you too much to keep you that way. So he gives you his spirit who works 
in you from the inside out. And he's making you more holy. What does that mean? He's making you more like Jesus. So in a sense, you are holy because you are like Christ. But you are becoming holy. You are becoming holier in a sense because you're becoming more like Christ. So we say that is positional and progressional. You are positionally right now a son and a daughter and you are growing into that. Because he has planned for you in advance to become that way. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 38. Let's jump to that. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. We make a firm covenant in writing. Write this down, would you? Accountability is key to conformity. Accountability is key to conformity. Accountability. Oh, there's a word I don't like to hear in church. Accountability. Accountability is not a dirty word. It's not. When I was at university studying engineering, one of the best ways that I would learn things and retain information was in study groups. Why? Because accountability was there. Have you ever been in a study group before? Have you ever studied better with someone else? Maybe you just got, you're just booking to go to the library. You're not, you're not working with that person, but you're in the next desk. You're doing your own thing. You, what's encouraging for you is just knowing that they're doing their work so that you can do your work. That's a study group. What, what is that? That's, that, that, that? that's a means of accountability. Accountability is a good thing. We, we talk about it in the education sector. We talk about it at school. Accountability is a good thing. Did you do your homework? That's good for you. Right? No? You switched off when I talk about accountability, right? I had you at holiness that God loves you, but now we talk about accountability. I've lost you. (laughs) When I was at footy training, accountability. Hey, guys, let's come early. Let's do some laps of the oval together. That's accountability. In basketball, let's do some shuttle runs together. It's training together. That's accountability. Come on, let's hold each other accountable to eat right. That's accountability. Well, that's good in the sporting arena too. It's good in education. It's good in sporting, but no, it's not good in church. Are you picking up what I'm putting down here? Accountability, the ability to give account. God's purpose for us was to be discipled and disciple one another through the means of accountability in the context of community. We are created from community for community. We are created in the image of God, a community of persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, a community, a collective of love, of connection. And there is joy in that bond, and He wants us to reflect that in our community structures that we have, that there would be accountability. Well, I don't like accountability. I don't like it when people tell me what to do. Sounds like pride to me. Some of the greatest points of growth in my life as a Christian is when I have been humble enough and courageous enough to submit myself to the counsel of others. I have two active people in my life outside of this church that I submit myself to. And I say, come on, talk. T- tell me something hard. Tell, tell me what I'm not doing right. Tell, g- give me your thoughts. Be a good sounding, but whatever it might be, just help me here. Why? Because sometimes you can see a spot on my back that I can't see. I need you. 
Enough of you already do that. So I'm not inviting for any more people to tell me what I've got to do. Thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. When I was younger, uh, about, oh, in a galaxy far, far away, back in the days of dinosaurs, there were two guys, Dami Dembali and John King, two friends of mine, and we would get together at least once a week, and we would, we would do pranks on each other, and we would run amok, and, oh, gee, those were the days. But there were other times where we would just sit down around the Bible, we'd pray for one another, and would challenge each other. We would challenge each other on things like, not just scriptures, but we would challenge each other on how we would talk to others. How we would, and we were all single back then, how we would relate to girls, what we would say to them. We would talk about our conduct in church community. We would talk about study habits. We would challenge one another. And do you know what? We, we, we made a decision at times because we disagreed sometimes on things. We made a little rule of thumb within that trinity, not so holy trinity, that one is we said, all right, if there's ever a disagreement, we go to the third person. And whatever it is, we just got to tip the hat and we got to respect the counsel of the collective. And so at times I disagreed, but when those two agreed on something and there was a good biblical basis, we thought, okay, I said, you know what? Fine, that's it. I may in a sense disagree, but I'm submitted enough to this community to grow. Some of us need to learn what submission is. Submission one to another. To not be so arrogant or proud to think that we know everything and no one can tell us what to do. God has placed us in family, in community, in church. And I'll give you a hot tip. If you haven't yet been offended or disagree with someone else in this church, you haven't been around for long enough. If I haven't upset you, give it time. I apologize in advance. It's going to happen. Right? It's going to happen. Are we still friends? Oh, we never were friends anyway. Hebrews 10 verse 25, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect meeting together. Prioritize it. Prioritize it. Oh, I disagree and I'm going to another church now. Sort it out first. I'm not opposed to God. Sometimes God shuffles the deck. I get it. And sometimes he moves people around. But he doesn't do it every six months. It takes time for relationships to form. And just because you're getting upset with your neighbor is not a good enough reason. And when you play the card, well, God told me to leave. What can, I do? what can I say to that? God told you, okay, he's obviously spoken to you, right? The church is not a spiritual spa. Oh, this church is so good. Oh, the temperature's good. The bubbles, the bubbles are fantastic. Did you feel those bubbles? Oh, that wasn't bubbles. Oh, it just feels so good. Oh, oh, can we turn the temperature down this, this morning? It's just a bit too warm. Can we, and, 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 and we think that church community is a place to make us feel good about ourselves. That is not the primary objective for church community. I want to be part of a church community, and you make me feel good. I, I like that. But God's primary objective is not happiness. It's not comfort. It's holiness and character. 
He wants me to become more and more like Jesus, which means he's going to put me with people that sometimes rub me up the wrong way. Some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, Pastor, you upset me. How will have a guess what? And that's okay. Because in family, that happens. Some of you, you need to write this down. In family, there is tension at times. In family, you're going to disagree at times. But you don't just divorce your family when there's a bit of tension. I'll move along. Okay, sorry about that. See, we, 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 we grow most when we grow through these tension points. We just do. And God wants to bring friends to come alongside you. What does it say in Proverbs? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful. Do you have close enough friends that can actually give you a bit of wounding? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But it says, kisses from an enemy are deceitful. What does that mean? Just because someone's giving you, whispering sweet nothings in your ear all the time doesn't mean they're your friend. Enemies can do that to you. But it's your true friends that would lovingly come and submit to you a truth. It takes greater courage to speak truth, even if you can know you're going to upset someone. That takes courage. For me, that's how God loves me. That's how my Father loves me. I know He loves me because He challenges me and at times, not just challenges, He disciplines me. And how does He do it? He, he does it just from heaven without people? No, He does it through people. I, the majority of the discipline I get from God by His Spirit is through people. Through people like you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm just being honest with you. Those that he disciplines, he loves. Thank you, Father, for your love. I'm going to go to chapter 10 if I can. Actually, no, let's go, yeah, to verse 28. Just following on from that. It says, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had, oh, there's that word again, separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers and nobles and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. That was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. Verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath, or on a holy day. And it says again, And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every day. There will always be a cost. There will always be a cost. But the reward far outweighs it. When you're 
following Jesus, there will always be a cost. Let's see the people of God. We will forego the crops. We'll forego it of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. What? I mean, every seven years, how you live, you mean off the land, every seven years, you're not going to take from that every seven years. And people that owe you debt, you're not going to take from that. That's right. This is God's people putting their faith in Him and considering the cost. They're saying, you know what? It ain't no cost anyway, really. It's not a cost when you're following Him. Let's read on verse 32. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. Let's go down to verse 35. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground. We obligate ourselves and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. So the, the, the good stuff, the cream of the crop, the first fruits, they're taking that and they're foregoing that. There's a cost, so to speak. Verse 36, also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it's written in the law. Let's go down to verse 39. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Following Jesus, friends, will always come at a cost. But really, that cost is so temporal when you consider what you get in return. In Matthew 6, verse 33, it says, Seek, second, the kingdom of God. Third, what is it? Seek last, no, seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek on Sunday mornings the kingdom of God. Seek first in everything the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Seek first. It's really interesting that um, I, I at times catch myself out in trying to seek him out of convenience in moments of ease. Am I the only one? Look at you all with your halos sitting above your heads this morning. You're so holy. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not last. Not if you like. First. When I was thinking this morning, just praying into this truth, I'm always trying to, you know, I, I just want to make sure what I preach, I'm, I, I really believe in, you know, and I really live. And I, I think, thinking about this, I thought, you know, I would take one year with Jesus over the rest of my life put together without him. Like, and and I, I would, in a heartbeat, I, I'm telling you, friends, Jesus, there is, there is nothing greater. And, and every I walk with him more and more, I am more resolute on that truth. To, if I didn't have Jesus in my life as my Lord and my Savior, not just an, an addition to my life, but a replacement for my life. If, if my life was not in his hands and I got his life, what a great swap that is for me. I got the good end of the stick, didn't I? He took my sin and I got his righteousness. This beautiful exchange. I, um, if I didn't have Jesus, I would be living very differently today. Have you ever played that out in your mind, the hypotheticals? What if you didn't have Jesus? Where would you be? I reckon 
I would be spending differently. I would be giving differently. I would be speaking differently. I would be dressing differently. I would be loving differently. I would be probably living in a different part of the world if I didn't have Jesus. But to be honest, I don't even know if I'd still be alive. I don't even know. And I think about all these things that I have foregone in my pursuit of Jesus. What have I foregone? What have I given up? And I still have people say, well, you, you know, you, you've got a degree in engineering and you, you could be making a bit of money there. From time to time, that still comes up. And early on, I would think, yeah, actually, I could be making a lot of money here. But now, I think there is no way on God's green earth I'll take any dollar more. I get, I get, I get to, to walk with Jesus. Like, I get to do this. I don't have to. I'm not doing it because... I'm not doing it because I was forced to from a kid and I've been indoctrinated. I went away. I did my own thing. I'm telling you right now. But I wouldn't trade it for a million years. And, and you know, my prayer is that, that we all would have a sincere revelation of how much He is for us, how much He has given for us, that we would respond in a way that shows gratitude. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.